It's episode 22 of Presentable, and I'm your host, Jeff Veen. This week, renowned lettering designer Jessica Hish joins the show to talk about the highs and lows of freelancing, how to balance your business and your craft, the freedom that comes from strict scheduling, and when it's okay to hire your mom. So let's get right to it. How have you been? I haven't seen you forever. I know. It's been a while. I've been good. Yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, you know, work's really busy. I'm going to have a second baby. Second soon. baby. It's like, oh, yeah, it's oh, all, fantastic. it's all happening. Congratulations. I have, I have two of them and, uh, yeah. and I think that's great. I don't think you want any more than that, but <laughs> I think <too. laughs> <laughs> Though I feel like it's one of those things where I'm like, I now I'll have like a master's degree in parenting. Like why not like use my skills? <laughs> well, yeah, it's so. true. But there's an interesting truth to that, that I found out at least for me in my own experience is that when I had the second one, I was just so much more present yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when she was first here because I wasn't worried that every single day something was going to go wrong and we were, and she was going to die. <laughs> you know, like, that, that, yeah, totally. that instinct that you have <laughs> yeah. as, as a parent that like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not qualified. I didn't have to like get a license. Uh, but all of that kind of lifted on the second one. And it, I found it much more pleasurable. It, it, it's obviously more work. Well, yeah, I think too, like the, the, the darkness is not going to feel as dark because you just know how temporary it is. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I think on the first one, you're like, I literally have no idea if this is going to be the rest of my life or not. And That's then right. like on second, when you're like, oh, it's only six months. Come on. Yeah. Just like get over it. Whatever. You'll be fine. Well, congratulations. I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I've been flying under the radar with this one because I don't feel like uh, I didn't realize how big of a snafu that would be career wise to have to like then remind everyone I'm back at work for like a year. So yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. been just kind of like being like, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant, but I'm working and it's just a project that I'm going to work on for a little while and then I'm going to come back. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm going to be like on American dad paternity leave schedule rather than like German mom schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, for me, it was so my son was born three days before Typekit launched and my daughter was born a month before Creative Cloud launched. So uh, I, the, the, that sort of paternity leave, it was, it was weird. Like I took time off, but then I also... Like, well, I'm up at two in the morning. I might as well clean up my inbox while I sit here with you, you know, that kind of thing. So, it, it <laughs> yeah, was... I'm going to try and be, if, if my brain will let me, I'm going to try and like be a little less uh, like uh, spa time with entertainment in the middle of the night, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> where I'm just like, ah, who cares? Like, I can just do what I want. Like, maybe I'll try and make it into somewhat productive time yeah. if I'm, if I'm mentally capable. Yeah. In the, yeah. How many weeks? Yeah, that's true. And you know what? Like this, it reminds me because I'm sure you get this question all the time, but I was thinking about this recently in that, you know, I have been very grateful and humbled by having a career in which people want to interview me. And over the last like, couple decades, frankly, of people interviewing me, never once has anyone ever asked me, how do you balance it all with your, you know, being- <laughs> Oh, I know. It's, it's crazy. Like, you know, and the, you know, it's really funny because I, you know, I share a studio with Eric Marinovich, who's also a dad and he's a dad of two. Uh And, uh, I have a lot of friends who are freelance, uh, illustrators and designers who are also dads and it's the same thing for them. It's just like, it'll never be a thing that is like the first topic of conversation in an interview. It's like a thing that maybe gets brought up if they recently posted about, you know, their kids or something like that, but it's not, it's not like the primary focus of a thing, whereas uh, it can be for sure as a woman. Yeah. And yeah, and I know I know a lot of women that get really infuriated by it, but yeah. uh, you know, it's uh, to me at first it wasn't that big of a deal, just especially because I felt like it was really weird because I actually just didn't have a lot of women, female friends that were in my position. Like I knew lots of working moms, but most of the working moms that I knew were either people that ran their own business, uh, and clearly had employees and, you know, like startups or whatever. And, uh, or they were people that were employed by someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, so no one really made assumptions when they posted about their kids that they were just off work, you know, cause you don't (laughs) like assume that, you know, someone that's running four businesses because they post like a photo of their kids in the pool on the weekend that they're like, oh, that person doesn't work anymore, you know? (laughs) Uh, But when you work for yourself, uh, I think people kind of make a lot of assumptions or just, you know, base their assumptions of your life 
on people that they know. And just most of the people that they know, like if there's a freelance mom, she seriously cuts down her work, uh, when having kids just to save on childcare and stuff like that. But, you know, there's just not a lot of instances where people that have the flexibility, uh, to, you know, like I could work from home maybe if I wanted to, but I have, a I have 45 hours a week of childcare that I pay for so that I can go to the office and right. be like a proper productive human. Yeah. And there's just like, not a lot of people are in that position where they do that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fair point still. Well, fair point, but in an unfair world, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Still, it bothers me too. Whenever I go to a conference and they're interviewing, you know, some executive from a tech company who happens to be a woman and that question always comes up and, uh, and I think, yeah. Well, now well, you know. Like, you should just do that every time that you interview a man that you know is also a dad on the podcast. Just be like, have the first question be like, how do you balance it all? Balance it all. <laughs> you know, being a successful man and a father. How do you do it? And yeah. a father. How do you do it? <laughs> so you mentioned uh, running a business, and that's actually what I wanted to talk to you about. I mean, we could talk about lettering and typography, but we'll get to that in maybe a little bit later. But I've been really kind of impressed with a series of blog posts or uh, just writing on your website, I guess, that you have been doing about the balance between practicing your craft and doing it for a living and the desire to stay independent. Uh, I think a lot of people that I value as listeners kind of find themselves in that world. Like, could I freelance? I want to freelance. I'm, the job is unsatisfying or whatever. And thinking about how to do it, how to do both. Uh, both grow yeah, and, grow yeah. and sustain a business and stay really true to the work that you love. Yeah. And it's the thing that's tough, I think, is that until you go off on your own, you don't really realize how much like mundane, dumb office stuff you've been shielded from at your job. Right. And uh, it can be something that can really take over your life and just make it because I mean, anybody that runs their own business will tell you that like the dream of being freelance and being in control of your own hours and like doing what you love all the time, like is not a thing unless you want to be super broke all the time. <laughs> so the main thing is sort of acknowledging and accepting that like at best 50% of your time is spent doing the thing that you're actually you know, out there to do. And the other 50% of the time is spent doing all the other things that is like are important just for managing your business and your time. Yeah. And you can delegate as much of that as you can. And I certainly try to, you know, like I, like I have an accountant, I have an artist rep that handles all my contracts and invoicing and things like that. Um, but when it, you know, you still have to do client interfacing. You still have to be kind of the person that thinks about dreaming up ways to bring in new work or managing relationships, or, you know, you have to be the one that updates your website because even if you have someone that will like do the physical labor of that for you, you still have to write the copy and you still have to gather the images and do that kind of thing. And it's just really hard actually to find, like, even if I wanted to hire someone to do some of that more mundane stuff, by the time they had an intimate enough, like knowledge of, where, like where I've organized everything over the last 10 years and like what my file preferences are and blah, blah, blah. Like it, they want to quit and do their own thing. You know? <laughs> so I, one of the reasons why I haven't had employees is like, I've seen, you know, firsthand of like the small studio experience and just how much handholding is required when you hire a junior designer or someone that's going to do, uh, you know, you're trying to offload some of the work to, and people just don't stick around in jobs for more than two or three years, especially if they have a desire to be out on their own. And I haven't, you know, wanted to deal with that yet of just like knowing that, I'm going to invest 50% of the time that they're going to spend with me in teaching them. And then I'm maybe going to get a year of productivity out of them before they leave. Yeah. There's this, this irony or, or yeah, I guess it's an irony in, in the service model, like the consulting model. And that if you're managing a business like that, we did this for years at Adaptive Path at the top of the scale is where the, the, your clients, you don't want to charge them more. I mean, you do, but they don't want to pay it, right? So there's tension there. And then yeah, at the bottom yeah. of the scale, you have all the people that you want to do the work and you would like to pay them as little as possible so that there's some margin in the middle. And, and that in-between bit is really difficult. Like it's a real constraint in there. And, um, and the bigger irony over all of it is as you bring people in to help you do the work, you end up inevitably doing, doing less, less and work. less. Yeah, yeah for sure. 
Yeah, and really the only way to do it, and this is, I've talked uh, to friends about this where they're like, oh, like, it'd be so easy for you to find some, like, junior designer that would, like, help you execute a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, that is not what I want to find someone to do. Like, what I want to find someone to do is to do everything else. So, like, the only thing I'm doing is is the art. And the problem with that is you have to basically grow from a one-person business to a six-person business overnight because you need a project manager. You need someone, you know, like you need all of the things that are more specialized tasks that aren't just like hire some 24-year-old to like do this stuff for you uh, because it's the stuff that takes more time and knowledge and expertise. And by the time people get that expertise, they have specialized a little bit more and so you're essentially like hiring your boss. Like so you have to be in yeah. a in a position where the job that you're actually hiring to cover is your manager, uh, which is a, a higher pay level, which is a higher level of expertise, you know, and not everybody is ready to do that, you yeah. know, because yeah. I also really like I like the client management stuff. And I feel like one of my strengths uh, in running my business has been my ability to be a good communicator. And it's really hard for me to let go of that. Like it's hard for me to delegate that part of it because I just don't trust other people to represent me as well as I could represent myself. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I, uh, I felt that very acutely when we were doing Typekit. And uh, I remember one of my investors saying, hey, do you know the, this is very early on in the, in the company's life, and asked me, do you know the, the next five people you want to hire? I'm like, yeah, more or less. He's like, do you know what order you want to hire them? I'm like, uh, no. And he's like, well, uh, make a list of the things you hate and hire them in that order. I'm like, oh, I need a, I need a salesperson. <laughs> Clearly, like that's that's the next thing yeah. we have to do. But it is. But when you get down the list, at some point, it was like, uh, you know what, the CEO can't write all the blog posts. I'm like, oh, I don't want to give that up. You know. I know, and, I know, it's so hard. And like, that's the thing though is you still see companies where there are CEOs that have their hands like pretty directly involved in a lot of creation stuff and yeah. like high level decisions. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard to grow anything and have that, you have to let go, you know, it's really, and I think that's why, you know, not, there's not a lot of designer CEOs because I think it's hard to let go. Hard to let go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's true. Like most of the CEOs for the startups, you know, the really early stage companies, the difference between a vision for what should be and the execution of that thing is it doesn't kind of matter what role, like whether you're a designer or an engineer or whatever, like wanting your yeah. hands in it and having that control and being and expressing that. Um, it's something I, you know, I, I did have to carve out some amount of like the head of product role for Typekit for myself uh, or I wouldn't have enjoyed the job. You know, like it wouldn't. Yeah, have, yeah, exactly. Because it's that act of creation. Well, this is something you, I was reading on your website. The act of creation, the craft is keeping you sane. Yeah. As, as, as therapy, really, right? Which I didn't really like. I mean, I always kind of knew that because I have always, like ever since I was a kid, been a person that escaped into my work when they like didn't feel like dealing with other stuff. You know, like in middle school or whatever, when everyone in the world is <laughs> Like, you know, I at least knew that I could escape into artwork as a way to just be like either put off dealing with it or just process my feelings in like a in the background way and the further along I've gotten in my career the more the more kind of hands-on like business managing each of my projects has become you know where there is a lot more handholding and a lot more putting together like these elaborate proposals and things like that which you know when I was really early in my career, I was just doing so much freelance illustration work, which yeah. is so straightforward. You know, mm -hmm. like you get a brief, you say, sounds good. And then you spend all the time working like in isolation, turn over sketches, they pick one, turn over a final, they pick one. And that's that. It's, it's not really like this, let's have a discussion at every stage of the game. Let's put together like a 20 page PDF explaining all of your thoughts of blah, blah, blah. And in having less sort of time for just not brainless, but like flowy, non-heavy lifting mentally execution time, mm -hmm. my anxiety levels have just climbed so much. And I was just like, I don't get it. Is this just me in my 30s? I'm just a more anxious person. And I'm like, oh, no, it's just – 
this is me not spending enough time, like just in my flow mode, making art. And then as soon as I figured out more ways to do that, you know, by giving myself permission to work on these like little dinky projects again, that are just for fun, even like I've been making a whole bunch of enamel pin designs and things like that, which are just super fun and like take an afternoon or whatever. Um, like that's, it's such a good chaser to all the other work. And I do find that it helps me mentally. It helps me dive into bigger projects that are more intimidating. Like there's a, there's so many benefits from still having those small palette cleanser projects aside from them just being like fun to make physical things and post them on Instagram or whatever. Yeah. I wonder you what know? it is about that. There is, there is certainly some kind of psychological effect that's going on because I feel that all the time too. It is the, the act of making a creating a thing out of nothing kind of allows that managerial brain to go uh, get some rest you know so it's like, a form of med- it's a form of meditation you yeah, know like yeah, there are a- there are people who can meditate by just like like sitting in an empty room and focusing on a point or whatever and trying to actually clear their mind but i think a lot of us are these like mental busy checklisty people and we just have a really hard time with it and prior to you know trying to dive in deeper with or like realizing that this artwork execution side of my life was really that was my meditation like i just kind of like of course it was but i didn't actively realize it um i had been trying a whole bunch of other stuff like you know like there's certain forms of exercise that I can do that I find very meditative, like not like yoga because it's like too woo woo for me sometimes. <laughs> but, um, but like there's some forms of Pilates where there's just like, you have to concentrate so much on just this like slow execution of a single move where like your brain can't go to another place because yeah. you have to be like in the moment. And that was super helpful for me for like meditating. But then of course, you know, like, as I, as my schedule gets crazier and as I have less time to have like me time stuff, like for exercise and things like that, um, I've been trying to figure out ways to, to get that meditative time back into my work schedule rather than having to rely on these like sort of outside, uh, activities. And it it was just like this big eureka moment, like, oh, of course, this is what I was doing for like you know, the first 25, 26 years of my life, like all the time. And then all of a sudden it's starting to decrease and whatever I can do to get that back is, is just going to make me a happier person. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and it's one thing when you have a sort of corporate job, uh, people, I mean, I, when I had them complained so much about how I was not in control of my schedule and I had to be creative at predefined times, which I found very difficult, but, but the alternative to that, like when you are freelance, when you're on independent and on your own, I have experienced a sense of guilt around making those times. You know, because I should be focused on the business. I should be growing the business. And um, instead of taking the time for just creative exploration and, and like you say, a meditative period of time. Well, what's amazing, too, is anybody that goes freelance, you probably spend the first, you know, three to five years being freelance of just being like embracing the chaos and being really excited that like your time is you know, all your own and that you can work whenever you feel like, and that, Oh, it's Wednesday morning, but I'm not in the mood to work. I'm just going to go do this like fun thing. And then I'll work Wednesday night. And you do that. And that's like a big part of early freelance. But then over time, the it starts, you crave that structure so much that if you find people that have managed to have a freelance career that outlasts like three to five years, they have all sorts of methods that basically make their schedules more strict than people that have full-time jobs. Like it's crazy. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So like now, all, cause you just learn, the thing that's nice about it, about having that free form exploratory time is that you do spend a lot of time sort of getting a better understanding about when are your most productive times and what are the hurdles that like get in the way of that productivity. And then, you can start to sort of, if, if you're, you know, paying attention and this is why I actually love writing about this stuff on my site, because like, I think a lot of people just don't take time to, to analyze these parts of their lives Mm -hmm. or to, you know, like take stock of, of things and just everything can feel very out of control very easily. Um, but if you do take time to go like, Oh, well clearly, like I just read this article in the Atlantic about how like 
if you take a 20 minute break from work, it takes you 30 minutes to get, not, not that that, that article exists somewhere. I don't know if it's the Atlantic, (laughs) (laughs) but that, uh, like having something interrupt your flow means it takes another 25 minutes to get back into it, which means that if you schedule calls in the middle of a work schedule, you're decreasing your productivity by not only the length of the call, but also the length of the time it gets you to get back into your work. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, it makes more sense for me to schedule all my calls at a certain time of day. Or you can say to yourself like, oh, I'm clearly exhausted in the afternoon and I need less brain power work in the afternoon. And the the morning is when my mind is the most sharp. So I'm going to do all of my brainstorming and scheming and project thinking and project writing like in the morning and then let the afternoon be my like take care of business, like, you know, monkey time, uh, whether that's like artwork related or whether that's admin related or whatever. And you start to realize these things about yourself and how you, how you manage your time and your business. And then after a couple of years, you're just like, Oh, wait a second. I've essentially created this like incredibly strict full-time position for myself. And it's really nice because all of a sudden then it becomes this crazy time management tool because when someone contacts you and says like, Oh, Hey, like we really want you to work on this thing. You're like, okay, well it's going to take X amount of time because I know that these three hours I'll be able to spend doing X cause that's like my best time mentally. And then these three hours I'll be able to spend doing X cause that's my best time with production. And you get a better sense of like what you can take on about how long things are going to be. And like, that's the big hurdle for freelancers is just sort of being able to manage client expectations and your own expectations about how long it's going to take you to do work. And, you know, like how deadlines are going to integrate into your life in a way that's not going to totally uproot everything. If you get a stomach virus, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) this week's episode is brought to you by pingdom. I am so glad to have Pingdom as a sponsor because I've been a user for years. Back when we were building Typekit, we made a promise to our users that the fonts we served for their website would load quickly and not delay their pages. We used Pingdom to monitor all of our services and relied on their notifications when any of our systems were slow or reporting outages. This gave us an instant heads up, allowing us to solve problems before our customers even noticed. And I'll share with you a little secret. We used Pingdom to monitor our competitors as well to see how well they were doing and how we compared. You can start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com presentable. You'll get a 14-day free trial, and when you enter offer code presentable at checkout, you'll get 20% off your first invoice. Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who has a website. They do this by offering powerful and easy to use tools and services. For example, if you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website, it'll be a breeze. Pingdom takes care of this by using more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. These days, websites are becoming more and more sophisticated and very often include loads of dependencies. These are things like contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality, and more. So Pingdom makes it possible to monitor the availability of all of these key interactions that people will have with your site. Look, stuff breaks on the internet all the time. Every month, Pingdom detects around 13 million outages. That's more than 400,000 outages every single day. So regardless of whether you have a small website or you're managing a complete infrastructure, it's super important to monitor the availability and performance. All Pingdom needs is a URL you wish to monitor and they take care of the rest. When Pingdom detects an outage, you'll be immediately alerted so you can fix the error before the downtime affects you and your users. You don't want to be caught out when somebody wants to access your site, so you need Pingdom. Check it out today, and you'll be the first to know when your site is down. Go to pingdom.com presentable for a 14-day free trial and use the code presentable to get 20% off at checkout. Thanks to Pingdom for sponsoring Presentable and supporting Relay FM. Yeah, the, you know, the one thing that I found is very true about my job as an investor now is that it is incredibly unstructured. And I sort of initially kind of responded to that in a not very great way. Like it was creating anxiety in me, you know, like, am I doing this right? Because the, the tight feedback loops of a corporate job just weren't there anymore. And I, and I realized that one of the ways that I can cope with ambiguity and uncertainty and, and just unstructured time is by kind of holding myself accountable with this like synthetic structure. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? So. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's basically like I could imagine as an investor, you're just like, 
okay, well, if I, if my schedule is always willy nilly and I'm like meet, you know, some day, some days I'm meeting with existing relationship people. And some days I'm establishing new relationship stuff. Yep. It just feels like you never really know what's coming down the line. Whereas if you're like, okay, well, you know, Tuesdays and Fridays are my new relationship days and Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays are my existing relationship days. And on those days, I'm going to be in office in the morning and out of office in the afternoon. Exactly. You know, like you just sort of set these crazy rules. And then what's nice is that when people come to you and they say like, Hey, let's get coffee and talk about my new project. You're like, great, I'm available for coffee meetings on Fridays at 1 p.m. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like that, that like random who knows what's going to come through the door aspect of like not having the structure uh, gets to fall into a structural place so that every week when you start your week, it's you never it's never like, oh, well, maybe this week has 40 coffee meetings and next week has two, yeah. you know, like yep. you at least have some sort of way to to let people fill these pre-existing time slots that you've established as being the most productive way to handle your time. Yeah. And I have booked it all or blocked it all off on my calendar and they're all, you know, so I uh, literally like I look at my calendar and it's full, even if I have nothing really scheduled, but like, this is when yeah, I'm in yeah. the office, these are my office hours. And now I work with a, um, a virtual assistant who is a human, uh, but a virtual, like somebody in Texas. And, uh, and when I work with her, I, you know, she just looks at the calendar and the emails come in and I say, yeah, great, let's meet next week. And she knows, oh, this will be that kind of meeting. And it goes in one of those slots. And, uh, and it has been, like, like I said, pretty synthetic. Like I just kind of made it up. Uh, but wow, does it, um, it just makes me feel more relaxed around all of the stuff that kind of happens in this ambiguous way. Well, what's so nice about it too, is that one of the things that anybody that works for themselves or has a more unstructured schedule, uh, deals with is the problem of like, when do you say no? And there's always projects that there's projects that are clear yeses where you're just like so excited and you're like, yes, absolutely. I will do anything to make that work. I will work, you know, until midnight on a Thursday, no problem. And then there's the projects that are clear no's, but there's a lot of in between where you're like, oh, well, this is a really cool project, but I don't know, like I have other cool projects that are coming in or I have other cool things. And it can be really difficult to say no to stuff if it sounds like it could be an interesting thing, even though your schedule's kind of maxed out. And what I've found is that like having that structure, especially when it comes to things like you know, like you and I are in our weirdos where we have to have interviews and things like that, that we have to do, but like that, that kind of thing where I'm like, Oh, well, I only will do this like twice a week because otherwise it takes over and it's crazy. Um, like when someone calls you and says, Oh, Hey, can we like meet up for some non-productive coffee thing just because I want to meet you? Uh, you can say, Oh, Oh yeah, like we can, but I'm not available until three Mondays from now, uh, because my other slots are full. And it's just so nice to be able to give people that, like, like you can take this option or you can take no option, you know? And that's like, it's really nice. It, it just creates this, uh, you know, kind of like power dynamic where you actually are in control of your time and just not like at the will of whatever comes through the door. Oh yeah. I like that. I like that notion a lot. This, this sort of like taking control over, over all of that, but still like, do you feel the same kind of anxiety about your inbox? Like, you know, where your work is coming through and the, and all of that. And just, yeah, I don't know. How do you deal with that? <laughs> I do, but the problem, like I'm actually, what I've been trying to do is establish a little bit of like a uh, reputation of taking a little bit more time to answer certain mm -hmm. kinds of emails. <laughs> like, I think that, I think that that's the, I have like the people, people pleaser gene in a really big way mm -hmm. where yeah. it's really difficult for me to not like dive in and like immediately make people happy. Um, so it's taken like a few years of kind of training myself of like, I do not need to reply to this kind of email immediately and they should not expect a reply immediately, you know? So I treat certain kinds of emails that come in as like, this is an emergency. This is essentially the same as a phone call. Uh, and then certain kinds of emails as the same as someone sending me like a letter in the physical mail where like, yeah, I received it, but I don't have to jump on that right away. And so what has helped me is that I, uh, like my mom does, uh, a lot of digital secretary work for me. I hired her a few years ago. You hired your mom? 
I hired my mom. She got laid off <laughs> from her. She got laid That's off amazing. from her job. <laughs> but what's really nice is like, you know, it's difficult. Like, I think it would be hard to hire. It, it's very similar to your situation, probably having like an admin from afar. Um, but it's difficult to hire someone that you would uh, like trust to just yeah. like read all these emails that can be kind of personal. Cause I have a, I have a personal email that she doesn't touch. And then I have a a work email. And that's the one that she helps me organize but people. You know, I have friends that write me really personal things through my work email or, right. uh, you know, a lot of strangers will write me really personal notes. And I think it would be hard to, uh, have a stranger be the person that reads those sorts of things. And so it has been nice to just kind of have a, a family member do it. Uh, but she goes in a couple times a day and sorts everything into categories so then I know that like when I get into the office and she's on East coast time and I'm on West coast time. So when I get into my office, I can just check my like client folder and you know, like my speaking folder and my paperwork folder. And those are all the ones that I kind of have to get to immediately. And then thing, things like, you know, blog interviews, collaborations that are not like clear client collaborations that are more like partnershipy, uh, random bug reports for my website, you know, like people, re <laughs> people requesting to like meet me in person, uh, nice notes from ran random people or from friends, like those I can kind of back burner and do on days that are like rainy day, take care of your email stuff. Um, I guess the, the dream is sort of to have that all happen automatically someday, right? Like, I mean, Google has been inching in that direction. But, the thing, um, the thing is, though, I think it would be really hard because I mean, there's even stuff that she like people's language isn't consistent enough to have it sort automatically. You know, like some people deal with it by having separate email addresses for uh, you know certain kinds of inquiries or by doing form emails and stuff on their website. But I hate form requests things, right. and I feel like you know if you're in the if you're in a more service industry like you know being a freelance designer like it's kind of your job to make sure that there's an easy way to get in touch with you and that you're not like building up this enormous wall uh for doing that so i i just make it as easy as i can for people to contact my rep which is like really what i want them to do and then when they contact me uh you know by the time they get through my crazy contact page which basically tells them like all the things that they should not contact me for uh if people make it if people make it through they like are really like nice genuine humans but you know they're not like putting like magazine request like in their in their subject line so sometimes it takes a bit to to sort of understand you know like and the one of the like funnier like examples of this is uh, you know, I'll get requests for work from like really well-known people within the tech scene that are like kind of friendly because we have people in common and like that won't show up like to my mom as a client project because they'll write me about like seeing me a couple weeks ago or something like that. Um, but it's, it could be like a really big deal client project. So if Google were sorting that, it wouldn't have seen that as a client project either, right, you know? Right. And so there is a little bit more like hands-on stuff that kind of has to happen, which I think, you know, I think a lot of people are, are good with automatic stuff and, and, uh, but I, I feel like by the time people write me, they, they use such personal language. It would be difficult for any mm -hmm. sort of ro robot to sort through it. So you trust your mom. That's, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I trust her to short sort it. Cause even she like, she'll, she'll mix stuff up every now and then where she's like, I'm not sure if this is a collaboration or a client. And I'm like, yeah. this is from target. So it's a client, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Where, did you did you ever have a uh, full time job, and did you make the choice to go freelance, or was that something you've just always been sort of in? Well, I did have I had a couple full time jobs. I but the thing that was interesting was that my the appeal of freelance was like immediate when I was younger and fresh out of school, just because when I graduated, I ended up, I was working full-time, but I was full-time freelance at um, a place called Headcase Design in Philadelphia. And what happened is Philadelphia is an amazing city, but it's not like, it's not the same as New York in terms of the amount of design jobs available. So like my, a lot of the people that I went to design school for or with 
what they would end up doing is like a few of them would end up working for local firms, but a lot of them would leave and scatter and go to New York or go to LA or whatever. And, uh, when I, so when I graduated, I, I had a job, so I stuck around for a year and there were, I just didn't have a lot of designer friends, but I had a ton of illustration friends and I really, just like was so enamored with their lives where I'm just like, Oh my God, this is what I was supposed to do all along. Like you guys, you guys have it made. Like you get to pick the projects that you're working on. You get to work on, get to work with other artists and, and designers constantly. Like this is actually what I should have gone to school for in the first place. So that I had this dream of like, I'm going to be a freelance illustrator. And I was really working towards that. And it was while I was working towards that, that I sent out an illustration promo to like, you know, drum up some illustration work, but I also sent one to Louise Feely just because I liked her. And then yeah. she ended up hiring me for a full-time position as a designer in New York. And so it was weird because I had like this picture in my mind of what the next five to 10 years was going to be, which was going to be me freelancing in Philly as an illustrator and just like living the life. And I, had like this crossroads of like, Oh, well, clearly I need to take this amazing job. Uh, but it postpones that dream from happening. So I, I ended up moving to New York and working for her, but the whole time that I was working for her, because I had already kind of started to get the ball rolling with freelance illustration work. I was like, is it cool if I work on illustration projects on the side? And like the benefit of that was great because, you know, I was young and would work 24 hours a day and it didn't matter. And then also, uh, you know, working for a small studio, it was just really nice to have like the extra second income of freelancing so that I could like experience New York in a more proper way instead of having to be like a ramen eater for years. (laughs) And (laughs) I would imagine you got a sense of a business running as well, right? Like a little mentorship around that kind of stuff, or maybe even creative direction mentorship and, you and know, things. A, a bit, the, what was more like what I got more in terms of mentorship, in terms of the business management was just understanding that you don't need to work 24 hours a day in order to have a successful business. Because when I worked for, um, Headcase, like it was amazing, but their like work schedule was much more unstructured where like they would, you know, it was a studio of, of two guys, uh, Paul, who was the owner and Jude, who was working there at the time. And, um, they would do like half editorial illustration and half book design work. And the book design work that they were doing was incredibly labor intensive, like these really like hardcore art books that would just eat up all your time. And when we were in the middle of those, you'd be working until 11 o'clock at night, like, you know, just really hammering out with these really tight deadlines and stuff like that. And, uh, I sort of thought that that's like how small studios work. And it's certainly the story that you hear from people that work in advertising and things like that, where it's just like, of course, everybody that's in New York is working until nine 30 or 10 and blah, blah, blah. And when I worked for Louise, like, I think there were maybe two days that I worked after six or seven o'clock at night. She just ran a super tight ship with scheduling and stuff like that. And I think that that was one of the more eye opening things, uh, that I learned in terms of running a business is that you don't need to work yourself like a dog in order to have a successful business. And I think that, um, that's one of the best things that you could learn, you know, early in your career when it is so easy to give in to the, you know, the culture of busy and, you know, trying to like only getting your satisfaction in terms of like how quote unquote productive you are by how many hours Mm -hmm. you're putting in. And, uh, so that was really important, but she really shielded me from any like contract stuff or like, you know, like I didn't, I wasn't in attendance for any of her meetings with her clients and things like that. Uh, so I didn't really get a lot of immediate mentorship with like client relationship management stuff in that way. Um, so you just uh, figure that stuff out on your own more or less? I'm trying to think back to like how, how we did it with adapted path. And, and I was fortunate that, you know, we had, I had partners, I had six partners and a couple of them had a lot of experience in RFPs and all that kind of stuff. And so we did, we did some of that and we kind of, kind of just learned that from them, but yeah, that understanding of like the project starts when the first email comes in and you're already sort of positioning yourself for what you will and won't do and the boundaries that you will have with the work and the ownership of the work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Just kind of figure that out. 
I've had an artist rep since I was 22. So I was working with him while I was also working for Louise and, but he's like a traditional like illustration rep. So Mm, he's been incredibly helpful for my, my lettering projects that are more straightforward and fall more into the like illustration world, you know, like things that are for advertising or things that are for editorial or things that are for book covers where like, he's used to managing those sorts of contracts. And he was really good at like, as you know, we've been working with each other for, you know, over 10 years now. And, um, like we talk over right stuff and talk about the, 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 pain points in contracts and talk about schedule and blah, blah, blah. And so he's been, it does feel like I have like kind of a studio manager in him, but there have been some moments where I have had to kind of learn on the job where, especially when it comes to branding work, where I am kind of like in a weird place with the logo and branding work that I do, because I am not trying to be a branding studio because I don't want to do like start to finish stuff and manage brand extension and all that kind of jazz. But it's hard for me to like, I have to treat my clients as if I am that, uh, which is something that I have found out over time is that even if I'm working with another design studio, helping them with logo design, there's still sort of an expectation that the deliverables that I'm giving to them are as tight as the deliverables that they're going to show to their client, even though they're just going to pull from my work into their decks. Uh, so that has, that has been a little bit of a learning curve of just sort of, understanding that, uh, you know, like whether or not it's a black tie party, I should show up in a tux, you know, (laughs) like it's, it's like always best to be the best dressed person there instead of showing up like in, you know, casual Friday gear and like being surprised that everybody is, is, uh, jackets required. Uh, so that, that has been something that has come even just in the last couple of years of just really tightening up my, process of managing that part of my business, which is something that I couldn't have anticipated, uh, you know, even learning like, you know, working with my rep because he just doesn't work on branding stuff. Like that's not a thing that he does. And, and also the kind of branding stuff that I do is not like, I'm not working with the end client. I'm working with other designers a lot of times, like sometimes I'm working with end client, but a lot of times I'm working with design studios and sort of understanding that like how I present work if they were hiring me for an advertising project is very different than how I present work. If they're hiring me for a brand revision project, it's, it's interesting, you know? Yeah. There's there's also the part that I hear in what you're saying uh, about teaching your clients, what they can buy from you, what they should be buying from you. And, um, and like, yeah, when I was doing the consulting work, there was a lot, we put a lot of effort into that because back then uh, in the, the early 2000s and the web was had just gone through its big upheaval and was almost starting fresh again. And everybody was coming to us saying, can you do usability testing? And it was lucrative, but ultimately not just unsatisfying, but uh, ineffective because we would do a bunch of usability tests of a client's website and come back and say like, well, people largely figured it out about how to use the product and largely don't want it. You know, so, (laughs) so, so really what we, what we wanted was to get the deeper strategic work. Like you should have hired us a year ago and we would have done the research to ensure that when we did usability tests, everybody would, you know, they would just fly right through. Anyway, it it sounds like you're doing that with different kinds of people coming to you and you probably now have the luxury of being able to kind of pick and choose the projects that you want to work on, um, and, and trying to find that right fit. That's been something that I have like been lucky enough to have the luxury to do for a long time. Um, you know, things have adjusted, of course, a lot. I was doing that when I was, you know, making a third of what I make now, just because I really, like I work was coming in consistently enough that I knew that if I turned down a project that wasn't quite right or passed it off to someone that I thought would do a better job at it, that it would leave room in my schedule to take on a project that could come along that would be a better fit. Or worst case, it would give me free time to work on something that I had backburnered that I had been wanting to work on or, you know, write an article for my site or something like that. And I think that people, it's a privileged position to be in, but depending on your lifestyle that like whatever lifestyle you want to maintain and wherever you live and whatever, uh, your expenses are like, it's something that you can achieve earlier than you'd think. 
you don't have to be like in the making 200 K plus world to be like, Oh, now I can be picky about what happens. You know, like you can, you can do that much earlier on in your career and know that that curation and the delegation of certain kinds of work to other people that are better matched for it actually ends up coming back around quite a bit because those people will then do the same for you. You know, like if you're, if a certain kind of work comes to you and you're like, you know, this isn't quite right for me, like you should hire so-and-so because they, you, your timeline's really tight and I could do this and it would be fun to experiment. But honestly, like I want to make sure that if you only have a week to do this, that we're not butting up against your timeline and blah, blah, blah. And it's much better to hire someone that has experience doing this. Then that person is going to do the same for you down the line of just like something that comes to them. And it's, it's basically, you know, so much of running your own business is referral based and the referrals happen a lot just between people doing similar stuff, you know? Yep. Yep. But that is stunningly hard advice for somebody getting started in freelancing too. Yeah, yeah. You know, but like, also too, I think no matter what, no matter how, no matter how like much work is coming in, you sort of never believe that it's going to go on forever until right. you've been doing it for at least three or four or five years. Like you know, yes. like every project feels like it's your last project until you've been <laughs> doing it for like five years, and then even then, like you know, you certainly can't just go on cruise control. But by then, hopefully you have a diverse enough client base or skill set where you kind of know how to maneuver work a little bit better where you're like, okay, well, I'm not too afraid because if this kind of work dries up, I have this other kind of work that I can boost. Or I know that like I have these past relationships with so-and-so people that I can reach out to them and say like, Hey, what are you doing? You know, Mm -hmm. but it takes a lot of time to really feel the confidence that like, even if stuff slows down, you have the, the toolkit to, to boost it back up. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So what kinds of projects are you taking these days? Like what what do you find inspiring and interesting? Oh, all kinds of stuff. I'm I'm actually really psyched because right now I have a bunch of like uh cool little projects and then a couple of big projects that are going on and then uh which is always how I love to do it. Like I actually talked to an architect friend of mine the other day and I was saying that one of the things that sucks about being an architect is that there's no way to do like a $200 overnight architecture project, you know, <laughs> whereas, uh, as a freelance <laughs> designer or letterer, uh, what's really nice is that I can, you know, have a few of these kind of like big kind of high pressure projects on my calendar and then sprinkle in a bunch of these like tighter turnaround, lower budget projects that are just about making art. And it's just like a really nice balance of the two things so that I can kind of like shift my mental strength in one direction or another. But I'm working on a a brand revised project right now for, uh, I I don't think I can not mention it. So (laughs) I I will. So uh, I'm working with uh, Jenny's Ice Cream out in Columbus to to uh-huh. work on their logo for them. And I'm really excited because they've just been like a just a lovely group of people to work with, and that's uh so that's going on right now and is going to go on for the next few months. And um, working on I've been working on some more book covers for Barnes and Noble Leatherbound Classics, and those have been fun. I just did one for Metamorphosis. Uh, and one for, oh, what was the other one that I did for Sleepy Hollow? And I'm doing a, a Poe collection uh, in the next couple of months, which should be fun. I'm doing a, yeah, it's really cool. And I'm doing a book of Psalms cover for this, uh, this group, the Folio Society. And they just do these like really high end, like small books. So it's going to be like a, like a, a silk cover with copper foil or something on it. So it's nice because it's these sort of like, like a, you know, a bigger, more commercial project, uh, will come along, but then I can balance it with these kind of smaller, uh, cool little projects. So yeah, yeah. So it's, oh, it's that good. Sounds great. I want to, I also want to just call out how jealous I am of the fact that you make things that result in artifacts. Oh, uh, I having, know. 
Having spent my career in software, I, uh, I, I think I need a little bit of like making a physical thing once in a while. Honestly, I, I don't know if I could ever switch to being like a software person because I, the closure that you get just from having a thing be physically made is so satisfying. Yeah. Um, because even if there's, an, even if you would have done it differently, like five years later or whatever, you know, which always happens, you know, you make something and you're like, oh, that was such a cool project. But if only I had my skills now to apply to that thing, which in yeah. software you can do you can, you can. Just, like, change it for better uh, or worse <laughs> exactly and i think it's actually for worse most of the time like being able Mostly, to yeah. being able to move on and do something different instead of kind of redoing the same projects over and over again i think is it's very good mentally uh so yeah yeah that's good well we unfortunately need to wrap up here so we'll have to have you back sometime and we can actually talk about hand lettering and typography and stuff like that. Uh, oh, yeah. But this is fascinating. I want to I want to point people to your book, which is great, which is literally like looking over your shoulder at, as you do your work. And I think it's great. It's called In Progress. Uh, that must have been quite a project. Oh, it was uh, like to call it a labor of love is love is an understatement. <laughs> but oh. it, I'm I'm really proud of it. And it's if like I have been told by by many folks that have ended up uh, getting it that it's interesting because like I'll, I'll have people write me that say like, I have no idea what lettering is, but I still found this totally fascinating. <laughs> so it's basically yeah. like a really, really accessible, easy textbook plus coffee table, uh, pretty pictures book. So, uh, if you're at all interested in, in hand lettering or even just like, you know, getting a peek under the hood of how mm -hmm. like any sort of artist works. Um, I tried to write it in a way that actually makes you want to read it cover to cover instead of it just being one of those books that you buy and put on your shelf and never open. Nice. I'll put, some, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I'll link to your gorgeous website too. So people can look through all your work. It's, it's a beautiful portfolio. Uh, and where can people find you like on Twitter or social media? What do you like to say? Oh, they, they can find me. Well, I will tell you, I use all the social medias very differently. So if you want uh, basically insight into my brain and like random thoughts that I post throughout the day, Twitter would be the place to go. Uh, so I'm Jessica Hish on Twitter. If you want something that's a little bit more uh, artwork driven, my Instagram, is also Jessica Hish and I just set up a Facebook page which I'm uh, running similarly to like a email newsletter kind of thing so it's not a lot of content occasional posts about new projects and events and stuff like that so and what's your snapchat strategy oh I'm I'm not on <laughs> I'm not on the snap I I think I've I think I have figured out that I am officially an old person uh no like I I I was a snapchat lurker for a while uh, where I would just go and like watch what other people were doing. But I'm a believer that Snapchat is for people that have amazing, hyper interesting lives or absolutely nothing going on in their life. And that anybody in between has a really hard time with it. And I, <laughs> I definitely fall in the in between category where I'm not like, Oh, check out my Bali trip. I'm making blah, blah. You know, it's more like, Oh, cool. What do I snap about now that I'm at my office, like doing the same thing that I do every I do day. Every day. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, Hey, I really appreciate you taking the time, especially considering how difficult it is for you to balance everything in your life. <laughs> so thanks for that. And, um, and let's talk again soon. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Great talking to you. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Veen and this was Presentable. Presentable.